Okay, we're live. Brent Leary here. Beautiful, I mean beautiful, 70-degree weather. Sunny, maybe a little cloud, but not many. Perfect <laughs> springtime weather here in the A. First of the live streams this week, and this is really cool because I get to have with me Jeff Gomez. Now, I met Jeff through a mutual buddy. Now, he's known Alan Bergson way longer than I have. Oh, <laughs> that's, Alan's a great that's guy. putting it mildly. Putting it mildly. <laughs> now, the reason that I wanted to speak to Jeff, he's a geek, and he'll admit that to you. I, I'm kind of like a closet geek that I could geek out to. But the reason I really wanted to talk to Jeff was Alan is always talking about corporate narratives and he talks about storytelling and he's here with us right now. Oh, look at that. (laughs) (laughs) So beautiful in New York. (laughs) Yeah. We won't mention what just happened over around Jeff's way, but but we'll just stick with beautiful New York. (laughs) (laughs) So Alan is always talking about corporate narratives. He wrote, this really great blog post for Paul Greenberg's uh, ZDNet blog on corporate narrative. He's always asking me what mine is. And then I said, well, why do you keep talking about this for And storytelling. And he says, well, I have a really good friend, Jeff Gomez, who is all about that. And he's all about transmedia. And I was like, what the hell is transmedia? So Jeff, <laughs> before we get to that, I have to admit, I watched... I think it was a video that you did uh, probably like 2010. It was one of those TED Talks. And you were kind of going over how you got into this. And when I say into this, I mean, he's worked with some of the biggest companies on some of the biggest movies of the last couple decades. uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Avatar, comic books. I mean, you name it. We'll talk about that. Sure. And so, some, some, some corporations like Coca-Cola, Pepperidge yes. Farm. Sure. N- nice. In Atlanta, Coca-Cola is a big one. So, uh, sure. But one of the things that caught my attention, because we're about the same age, we're in the same age group. You were talking about when you were younger, watching, and tell me if I'm saying this right or wrong, Kikiter? Kikiter? <laughs> Kikiter. Kikiter. And I was like, I never heard of Kikider. <laughs> and I'm, like I said, we're in the same age group. But I tell you who I have heard of. Having been given the life of the spaceman from Nebula M78, Hayata now uses the Beta Capsule and becomes a <laughs> super being, Ultraman. That's who I remember. And I remember the Beta Capsule, and it was so cool. I would... I mean, my older brother and sister could tell you, well, my sister could. I was all about Ultraman and and, and the uh, Beta Capsule. How did I miss out on Kakaider? Because I don't remember that dude at all. <laughs> well, I, should I should I answer that? Because I'm, I'm going to get nerdy on you right away. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd out, man. Nerd out. Sure. Um, uh, you know, in the, um, uh, in the late 1960s, the... Uh, uh, 
the, the Japanese media industry was really starting to boom. And, um, uh, and the American uh, television networks had a, a sore need as they expanded to want to fill out their uh, uh, morning and afternoon uh, programming. They, they just needed uh, inexpensive content. And so uh, what they decided to do was to take some of the cartoon shows and children's programming from Japan, uh, hastily dub it into English, and toss it on TV. You know, you run your commercials, the kids are satisfied, everybody's happy. And, um, and so initially we got some uh, uh, proto-Japanese anime, uh, Marine Boy, Kimba the White Lion, Astro Boy, you know, things like that. Gigantor. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a, a gentleman named E.G. Subaraya, um, who had uh, developed these special effects techniques in the Godzilla movies from the 50s and 60s, figured out how to do it inexpensively. And, uh, and so he created Ultraman. Um, so Ultraman was like having a Godzilla show in your home on your TV yep. every week. What could be better? <laughs> Not, nothing I can think of. And I so, always wanted a beta capsule too. I really wanted absolutely, one of those absolutely. The the notion of of transforming um, uh, was a, a kind of peculiarly Japanese notion, uh, using a technological device of some sort to alter your appearance or become a giant um, was a, a big deal back then. And, um, and so uh, Ultraman uh, was, like the various anime, uh, syndicated to the United States and showed up all over the country, uh, sometimes on those obscure UHF channels. Yes, <laughs> uh, that's but, where I watched it. Um, you know, uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. You got to see this giant silver dude fight you know, Godzilla-like monsters, and that was, uh, it rocked my world. Now, Kikaider came along a little bit later um, when um, uh, in Hawaii, there was a, a large uh, population of, of Japanese people in, in the 1970s, and my mom, who was capricious and young at the time, moved us uh, from the, the hood <laughs> uh, to... To the hood in Honolulu, <laughs> nice. Um, and um, and that hood was a lot nicer, I have to tell you. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I got my face broke uh, less often. <laughs> in, that, that's in a good thing. Hawaii, uh, but um, uh, you know, so there was a lot of unique programming on Hawaiian television that didn't make it to the United States, and um, and that included. The uh, uh, the content that would become Power Rangers, you know these these human sized superhero changing characters, and um, uh, and Kikaider, Kikaider was not a Power Ranger. He was more like Common Rider, a, a, an individual uh, a superhero who changed and 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 was robotic. He was an android and he fought monsters. Uh, now, the reason I talked about uh, Kikaider in that TED Talk was that um, uh, Hawaii loved their Kikaider. He was their, like, patron, patron superhero. Mm -hmm. And um, and so the Japanese furnished uh, Kikaider content and Kikaider products 
across an array of different media platforms, including making Kikaider feature films that you had to go to the movies to see. And, and so this notion of a, a transmedia superhero blew me away. The fact that you could buy the 45 RPM record of the Kikaider theme, you can go buy Kikaider toys, you can watch the TV show, then you had to go to the movies, then there was a sequel TV series, and, and so it was a universe, a story world of Kikaider. This was 1975. Wow. So um, uh, that changed me, Brent, forever, <laughs> because, um, because I became enamored of, of story worlds that traversed multiple media platforms, transmedia story worlds. So that is, was that the beginning of transmedia? Well, some say the Bible is transmedia, <laughs> you know, um, uh, it, it's, it's whatever is communicated across multiple media platforms in, in, in a, a fairly different and distinct ways, not simply repeated uh, across multiple media platforms. The Japanese called it media mix. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and they were, you know, among the first to do it kind of elegantly in, in a kind of coordinated and orchestrated fashion. And, um, and so I, I pin that there as opposed to Star Wars, which happened, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, the Japanese were doing it in the 60s and early 70s. It almost feels like I'm trying to think of all these different examples of, of this now that I kind of have a better understanding. So it's it's not about just telling the same story or the same part of a story across multiple channels or formats. It's about adding pieces to the story that are distributed across different channels. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. And in, in, in such a way that you don't necessarily need to collect all the pieces in order to understand what's going on. You, you can, you know, each piece is kind of self-contained, um, uh, but the, the act of collecting them and putting them together. So you're doing a little creative, imaginative work in your head. And when, when it's done that way, it feels good. It's like, ah, you know, I, 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 I'm watching Spider-Man No Way Home, but I did watch the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man and realized that he failed, you know, to save the girl all those oh, years ago. And here he is saving the girl this time, redeeming himself. Oh, that's awesome. That's kind of transmedia experience. So you have a company, Starlight Runner Entertainment, and your whole business is helping other businesses tell stories in, in kind of all these different formats and different channels, but piecing together a universal story that is delivered across these distributed channels. The ultimate nerd job. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly okay. what we do. Exactly what we do, Brett. And sometimes we get to make up our own stories, uh, which which makes it even more fun. Um, uh, so so we're uh, developing and launching original intellectual properties with partners 
um, uh, to, uh, to create transmedia experiences. Do you get called in at the beginning when they're trying to formulate the story? Or do you get called in to extend the story? How does that work? Well, it works always, but we like to say if they're really smart, they'd call <laughs> us at the beginning. <laughs> okay. we, we have we've done we've had to do a lot of meatball surgery on airplanes, right? In flight. <laughs> um, wow. And um, and that's OK. That's fine. Uh, that's a, a, why you would call upon an expert. Um, but of course, we'd rather be at the table um, uh, when, um, uh, you know, when, when things are being uh, conceived. How do you go about or maybe how, what was the the process like creating this transmedia approach? Um, like a decade ago, and how has it changed, I would say, even more particularly since the pandemic took hold and everything seemed to change? What was the, what was the process like before all this, and how has that process been changed because of all this? Oh, Brent, that's an awesome question. Um, you know, 10 years ago, you, you know, between 20 years ago and 10 years ago, we had a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> you know, where is this transmedia? We would be asked. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, it was hard. It was difficult. You know, people don't think in, in terms of, of creating kind of a super puzzle for, for the audience to assemble. They also don't think about, and this is critical, Brent, and your audience needs to know this. Um, uh, story is no longer contained within the purview of the narrative that is being presented, right? Story is no longer the commercial. It's no longer the TV show or the movie. Story is all of that inclusive of the stories that the audience are telling themselves about the mm -hmm. content, are telling each other about the content, and are telling the storyteller about the content. Right. We have become a meta narrative because of what Alan Berkson calls pervasive communication. Everybody in the world has now the ability to say whatever they feel like on social media and what they say impacts us as corporations, as storytellers, as media and entertainment. Um, so we have to um, we, we have to consider them as a part of the transmedia experience. Do you see what I'm saying? So that was impossible to communicate to our clients 10 years ago. They didn't get that at all. Um, uh, you know, the, the job of the audience was to sit down and shut up. <laughs> and buy. And, and of course, and buy. Uh, um, now, could you imagine... Um, uh, uh, any one of them saying that today, <laughs> they might no. wish it. <laughs> they might wish it, but it's not happening anymore. <laughs> so, just on the entertainment side of it, being able to get the feedback, not ignore the feedback, create a feedback loop that then impacts where the story goes. 
and how the story is told. That's correct. That's correct. That's probably the hardest part to bring to the corporate side of things. You know, the storytelling and the entertainment, they it seems like they've been much more friendly towards integrating, you know, like for the gaming industry. They those folks, they take the software and then they use it in a way that the developers never even imagined, but it, they embrace it into what that stuff is. That's not what typical corporate America does. They want to try to control every aspect of the story and how it's told and what they want you to do afterward. How has that changed? So has so that gotten easier? No, it's, it's gotten tougher. Wow. <laughs> it's gotten tougher, but, but here's the answer. Uh, uh, Brent, it, it's about uh, understanding your own story, fundamentally understanding the story you are telling. Okay, so I'm not talking about the story of your product. <clears throat> you know, here's a product. Here's what it does. Here's how it's going to make life all wonderful for you. Buy it. <laughs> here's <laughs> here's the sales information. No. Um, uh, I'm talking about the the deeper narrative that's that's being told that this product uh, illustrates somehow, right? The, the 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 narrative is the narrative of the human beings who are building this product. Okay, so if um, if you're thinking about uh, who, uh, Steve Jobs and and Apple, he was a person who thought differently. Right. He looked at computer interfaces and the way that people dealt with computers and said, you know what, that's ridiculous. That's rarefied. That's elitist to to have a language and an interface that normal people can't use. So I'm going to think differently and 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 create a bridge that's going to make it easy for the consumer to um, uh, to operate this machine. Right. And, and so that deeper narrative is is hopefully, and sometimes they they don't quite nail it, Apple, in the in the years since Steve Jobs, but hopefully, everything that comes out of Apple is is with this in, intention to leverage imagination, uh, to to leverage uh, different perspectives, and to leverage elegance and simplicity with regard to the use of of the Apple tool but also of life. That's what we need in life. If, if everything in life fixed itself the way our iPhones did, <laughs> things would be a little easier for us. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so that narrative informs their product and, um, and, and also builds a bridge between the corporation and the consumer, right? So that when the consumer says, hey, this aspect of what you did did not fulfill your your narrative promise to us, the fundamental narrative, and we're complaining about it. They can act quickly because that deviates from their core narrative. They can act quickly to fix it and acknowledge the mistake if they're if they're cool about it. Oh, gee, wow, we're sorry. Um, we get it. We hear you. Here you go. 
you know, we've taken time and expense to, to fix this. That's a, an architecture. We call that an architecture for dialogue, which mm. is a part of the new narrative modality. This is, this is the story model that we all must take into account in this day and age. There's corporate narrative or narrative mm -hmm. and storytelling. What do you have to do first? I'm, I'm guessing you have to have the narrative in order to tell the story the right way. But could you explain how this works? Sure, sure. It, it, any um, uh, 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 enterprise, any corporate endeavor um, ought to uh, be assembling itself because um, uh, our companies, our businesses in the world um, uh, are, are contributing something to the world somehow, you know, um, why, why would you want to do anything else, <laughs> you know, but to somehow be additive and positive in this world? So, so the deeper question that you must ask yourself is what is that? What, what's my story? How am I personally, uh, uh infusing my narrative? Uh, my story, the things that 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 um, uh, I had to surmount in life, the things that concern me about what's going on in this world. How does that story get infused into what my company is about and what my products do? Right. Um, if you can answer that question, you will start to come up with a kind of foundational narrative. Now, I don't mean the story of how you guys got together and built your company. I mean the why. Why are you here? What are you doing with this thing? And what do these products uh, have to do with making the world a better place? Okay. Once you've achieved that, then you can have fun uh, uh, telling a story about your product. That story the advertising, the marketing, the, the interface with the rest of the world is informed by this foundational narrative. In doing so, that's your North Star. That's your why. That's, that's, um, that's how you'll never fail. Alan asked me to ask you about <laughs> Halo. <laughs> Halo, the video game franchise. <laughs> right. Um, well, Brent, um, uh, actually, this can serve as a lesson to um, uh, some of your audience members who are who may just be starting out and um, and are interested in in kind of making a name for themselves. You know, um, uh, the the reason why Alan talks about Halo is because. Um, uh, when I was younger and, and just starting out, I was um, uh, frustrated with Halo. <laughs> um, uh, I loved the game, uh, but, um, but I saw that the game was having a, a difficult time breaking through to popular culture. I felt at the time, this was in the early aughts, um, that video games one day should be the launch platforms for inter, you know um, uh, multi-platform entertainment franchises and that halo really had the goods to to be able to break through but i saw it was it was having some trouble um, uh, 
at, at the same time, uh, I liked the music of Madonna. <laughs> and uh and i saw that her career was at a lull <laughs> at, at the at the time and so i wrote an essay uh called um uh, master chief and madonna are leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table <laughs> that'll get your attention <laughs> um and it was about how um both of those iconic uh, uh characters or figures um, uh, we're not leveraging transmedia storytelling to tell their stories in compelling and engaging ways, in ways that would reactivate older Halo games and older Madonna albums, <laughs> right? Wow. Um, and would build new fan bases, bigger fan bases for both moving forward. Um, I wrote that article and, um, and posted it I don't know, to some message board or, or something. And the uh, uh, Producers Guild of America uh, picked it up. They, they thought it was interesting. And they invited me to join, actually, out of, out of that article because it, it contained some interesting ideas that they'd never even heard of before, transmedia storytelling. And they, they put it on their uh, 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 site. And... Uh, suddenly I got a call from Microsoft <laughs> wow. um, and uh, not from Madonna, by the way, I Madonna, <laughs> call me, call me. I'm, I'm still here. Well, but, uh, but they, they flew me there to give a seminar on, uh, on Halo where, where I told them that, um, that they should be proud of Halo because Halo was reminiscent of epic poetry epic poetry. Uh, in other words, I built an appreciation in them for their own foundational narrative. I, I talked about how Master Chief was representative of the warrior who, who, uh, who needs to end war, not the warrior who perpetuates war and, and so forth. And they really uh, kind of uh, appreciated it and that turned into a, a multi-million dollar engagement that was one of the biggest projects that, that we ever uh, wow. did for, a Microsoft, for, for any entertainment company. Do you find that when you first talk to a company um, who may have been intrigued by something you wrote or said, or they bring you in, and their vision for their product is like this, or their vision for their customer is this. And you had to help them to understand the vision should be like this, <laughs> you know, or the story could be multi-leveled, much wider, but they're so focused on their marketing message as opposed to, a story which could reach an audience in a much more meaningful, meaningful way. How often do you have to change their original thought process about their own product and their own customer in order for them to understand you guys are just being way too short-sighted here? Brent, you are touching on the secret sauce. Wow. Wow, that is exactly 
what that that's at the essence of of what we've been doing uh, for the past couple of decades. Uh, so that's a brilliant observation, and thank you for um, uh, for for kind of figuring that out. Um, you know, here's the deal, uh, uh, Brent. I, I grew up in a chaotic environment, uh, as as I mentioned before. Um, uh, there were a lot of times that that it was so tough. I didn't know how I was going to go on. The the things that saved me, Brent, were not so much other human beings, particularly early on. It was stories, you know. It was the the um, thoughts and actions of great characters, you know, heroes, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, Sherlock Holmes, you know, Gandalf and Frodo. Um, uh, these are characters who faced overwhelming odds and, and used their minds, but also a little physical action to, to get out of the situation and succeed and make the world a better place as a result. Um, so I understand the value of, of telling a story that's going to reach millions of people. I'm excited by that because I know what it's like to be on the other side of that. So a, a big part of my job and the, the job of my team is to stand in front of these people who own the stories and who, who have uh, access and, and who have agency and to, to tell them and to remind them how special that is, you know, and, and, and how they need to, to think bigger. Um, uh, their preoccupation is with making the next quarter, you know. Their preoccupation is office politics, you know, and rivalries and, and, um, and knuckling under to pressure from, you know, uh, uh, their corporate masters. And I go in there and say, dude, <laughs> you know, you have this magical, wonderful thing. Here's I'm going to show you how cool it is and show you how to think about it in a way that more people can understand how cool it is. Do you see? And 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 we understand the, the production processes across an array of different media platforms so we can help you to create a transmedia strategy so that this rolls out elegantly and in concert, symphonic narrative, symphonic narrative uh, to engage your audience. And that when they hear that, when they listen to it and act on it, that's the highlight of my career. Nice. So how do you get the right mix and, and, tell the right piece of the story in the right channel because i could see you know you you'll capture this kind of audience if you bring this story this piece of the story to them in a comic book or you'll get this group of folks if you tell this story arc with a short video clip how, what's the how do you decide that kind of stuff <laughs> um, uh, you know, I had to, um, I, I did not get this TikTok. <laughs> what is this TikTok? <laughs> you know, um, and, um, and so like anyone of, of our age, ignoring TikTok was the initial <laughs> strategy. 
uh, until I, I started to, uh, uh, to, to figure out that the algorithms in TikTok uh, tended to expose the, the right kind of content to millions of people quite rapidly, right? You can, you can develop a following on TikTok 10 times faster than on YouTube or, or Instagram. Wow. Well, okay, that's kind of interesting. Uh, now I guess I have to look at some TikTok. <laughs> um, so, so in examining uh, that, that media platform, um, uh, what I had to start trying to discern were the patterns. How do people interact with this? How do they, what satisfaction are they deriving out of it that's, that's distinct from any other platform? And, um, uh, and, and what kind of stories uh, can be told on that platform? And, um, and uh, what, I, what I realized was there is something going on here. Um, and, um, and by kind of breaking the code, I can advise my clients about the the narrative extension of their story world, how it would best show up on TikTok. Um, and, and that's really what I've been doing with film and television and YouTube and Facebook and um, uh, audio, you know, podcasts and so forth. It's really just a matter of, of truly diving deep and figuring out how human beings <laughs> interact with, with the content in, in ways that are deeply satisfying to them. Jeff, this has been a really great conversation. Um, where are we going to be with transmedia and storytelling five years from now? Is it going to be radically different, evolutionarily different? I don't even know if evolutionarily <laughs> is a word, but it is not. <laughs> But how will storytelling and transmedia be most different in five years? I, I think in, in two ways uh, that, are, that are actually related, and I'm super excited about it. The, um, um, what, what people are starting to learn is, is that the aspect of transmedia that, that's been tough to crack is this notion of the, uh, the, the euphoria that we experience when something fits together. When we make the psychological leap and snap two pieces of the puzzle together, we, you know that from learning, from when you were a kid in second grade and started to figure out how the world worked. You know, um, uh, It gives you a, a feeling of agency, a feeling of power when you can snap those pieces together and it makes a bigger picture and a bigger one and a bigger one. That is a special kind of writing. That's a special kind of storytelling called narrative design, narrative design. Everyone uh, in your audience ought to start looking into narrative design. We got that term from video games because a video game storyteller, a, a writer or developer of video games, needs to create a narrative that is incomplete without the participation of the player, right? Um, so I'm going to, to let the player fill in these blanks, interact with these characters, complete these quests, fight these monsters, and, and, and so forth. Um, so I can't tell the whole story 
I have to design a story that needs your participation in order to complete. Well, this kind of, of design sensibility is what Kevin Feige does with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? He is uh, uh, planting seeds and Easter eggs in all these different movies that the audience is sitting there going, oh, I get it. Oh, that's from this movie. Oh, that's from that movie. You know, they're putting it all together uh, and, and so forth in much the same way, by the way, that someone sitting in, in, in a stadium watching a ball game, a baseball game is filling in the statistics and the and the histories of the players and the different teams and, and so forth. And that's where that passion comes from. That's where that ardor, fan ardor comes from. Okay, so now we are going to formalize narrative design and we're going to uh, tell new stories with it, not just interactive stories, but but story world stories. Um, uh, and um, and so you're the 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 uh, the design sensibility is going to be like a customer journey, as as uh, as you and Alan put it. Uh, where where the, there is no story without the customer, um, and and uh, and the customer wouldn't even be there without the story <laughs> of the right. product and, and so forth. Right? It's it's um, it's intrinsic uh, uh, to each other. So in the next five years, we are going to start to master the art of narrative design. Nice. Would the customer be the hero in the hero journey? Well, um, I, I think we are going to to make a little switch, right? There, there's the uh, the notion of the hero's journey, where I am the hero and I am going to march out into the world and conquer things, and I'm going to take on the challenges and um, uh, defeat the the bad guy, get the treasure, and bring it back so that my family, my community will benefit, right? Um, uh, that to me is a lot about the assertion of right on wrong, right? I'm the hero, so I'm right. My values, my concerns, I'm going to assert them so that, that I can win, uh, right? I think we're, if, if too many of us do that, you get what you're seeing on social media right now. A lot of people asserting their rightness on your <laughs> wrongness. They call it personal branding. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, we're going to switch to the uh, collective journey modality. So we're moving from hero's journey to collective journey, where we uh, uh, collectively exist in a system, a story world, a, a system that has flaws in it. Um, and, and our job as, as storytellers, as people creating products, and as the audience is to kind of navigate across this system to fix it, to repair the system. Do you mm. see what I'm saying? So this isn't about killing a bad guy or, or defeating your rival. This is about looking at the greater system, which has some problems. And, uh, and those problems, if we don't solve them, Brent, we're in big trouble, right? Things are getting a little complicated. So yeah. we need to solve them. And collective journey storytelling will teach us, will give us a new narrative modality. <laughs> and that narrative modality is one where we get over ourselves, where we mm. reconcile and where we repair the system. 
Um, uh, and and if, if we can figure out how to do that, life will get a little bit better than it is right now. I got to tell you. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but one last thing I'll ask you. I mean, you've done such really interesting work and you kind of made your own, your own, I was going to say hero journey, but after <laughs> that last answer, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> your own career journey. <laughs> and then you, you have to top it off with doing a podcast with Alan Berkson. I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing or not, but uh, <laughs> tell me a little bit about, I want to make sure I get this right. The street corner Cosmic Street Corner. There you go. <laughs> I first, when Alan told me about it, I thought he said the Cosmic Street Corner. I was like, what is it? Quincy for the 21st century or something? We don't really need that. All right. Tell us about that. Okay. Well, you know, um, Alan is a super smart dude. And and he, um, uh, he uh, I've worked with him on, on corporate narrative. And he's really um, uh, become one of the world's top experts at uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, corporate narratives and the uh, uh, way that companies can engage with uh, with their clients and and uh, the consumer at large. Uh, it's so fantastic. Um, and the conversations that we've been having since essentially we were kids, we were college buddies. Um, uh, they're always so much fun, and I I get so much insight out of them. And he has a way of kind of sharpening my brain. <laughs> you know, because I'm all over the place sometimes. And um, and we just decided it's about time to show that dynamic to people um, uh, with a focus on story, on narrative and on developing uh, story worlds of all kinds, whether they're entertainment, uh, a consumer uh, a product or or even geopolitical. We talk about all that stuff on Cosmic Street Corner. Awesome. Don't tell them this. But yeah, he is a smart guy. But you didn't hear it from me. I Your secret's safe with me. <laughs> so I'm going to pull this full circle and say when I was looking at the tech, uh, the TED talk, and you mentioned Keith Kiter, and that immediately brought Ultraman to my mind and to pull up that video. Well, I didn't stop at that video. I went to your twitter profile page and what did i get greeted with my boy <laughs> ultraman <laughs> awesome. uh, what's this about you do your homework um uh, you know uh, I, I, to to harken back to that story about master chief and madonna I, i've learned that you actually you know uh, if if you know what you're talking about, generally, <laughs> um, <laughs> you can actually manifest your your the realization of your dreams. You can actualize your your dreams. So along the way, occasionally I'll talk about something I love, um, and um, and and sometimes once in a while it's Ultraman, right? So there's there's publicity out there. <laughs> Uh, of, about my my uh, adoration for Ultraman and the the Japanese uh, heard about it <laughs> and um, and wow. reached out to me uh, through uh, the, their licensing company in the United States and said, hey, 
we want to reintroduce Ultraman, this kind of nostalgia uh, brand, uh, to the uh, to North America. It's been gone uh, uh, for for quite a while, and we um, um, and and I said, sure, <laughs> <laughs> of course. And, and so what I've been doing, and and here's what's really unique about this uh, this project. It's different from any other that I've done. Um, I asked. Uh, uh, Subaraya Productions, the Japanese production company, if I can uh, start by building an architecture for dialogue with Ultraman fans, okay? So I had no content, no, uh, no nothing new uh, from, from Ultraman here in the United States, um, but I wanted to galvanize the, uh, the, the fan base and let them know something special is going to happen. And they said, oh, sure. And and so I I went into the fan uh, clubs, uh, you know, on Facebook and Twitch and you know Reddit and so forth, and said, "Hi, um, uh, I have questions about Ultraman. Can can you guys help me?" And and I started just talking as a fan to to all of them. But little by little, they started to figure out that I was with Ultraman. Uh, and they would what they they put the pieces of the puzzle together and and realized that I was building these virtual events and inviting them uh, to these virtual events. They were exclusive with exclusive content in them and so forth. These weren't expensive to build, you know, uh, and they they came and had such a rocking good time. They told all their other fans. So before long, all 60,000 uh, hardcore Ultraman fans were were lit up with with this relationship that they developed not just with me but with the brand and um and now the brand is is bursting out all over now uh, um, uh licensees want to um uh to have a little piece of ultraman and netflix um is making a massive invention investment in ultraman content wow. um uh, this is as a result of planting these seeds starting with that architecture and and coming together collectively uh, to represent uh, a passion uh, uh, for for a brand to the powers that be. And now everyone wants to be involved with the Ultraman. And everybody wants their own beta capsule. This is two years. Everyone's getting their beta capsule. (laughs) It it, it took two years to do this. And and now there's an animated feature coming from uh, Netflix in 2024. Uh, Jeff, this has been great. In fact, it's been so great. Nikki K is asking, Jeff Gomez, why are we not working together already? <laughs> Contact me through LinkedIn, Nikki. We'll do it. <laughs> awesome. Hey, Jeff, this has been a pleasure. Thank Absolutely. you so much for making time to do this. Maybe we it. could talk a little down the line uh, to learn what's going on, see how things are changing. Absolutely. And I'll be watching, or not watching, but listening. To the Cosmic Street Corner. (laughs) Brent, thank you so much. This has truly been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. And thank you for all who are out there listening and watching and all that. And I'll be back tomorrow, back to back, a few good minutes, talking with Woodson Martin from Salesforce on AppExchange's 10 million install. So a little different. Oh, look at that. Is that the Klingon thing? (laughs) Welcome. Um, all right, Brent. I got to run. Talk soon. All right, take care. 
And everybody, thank you for joining.